Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And today we have on Chris Fritz, one of the core team at Vue.js. How are you doing, Chris? Very well. How are y'all? Well, thank you Good. for yeah. Thanks for coming on. And the the reason we wanted to have you on here was we heard rumors, vicious rumors, that <laughs> oh there was this thing called View Three that was out on the coming up. It was on the the horizon. So if you were out on an airboat in the Everglades hunting gators with a double barreled shotgun, and a fellow gator hunter come came up to you and said, "Hey, Chris, I heard about this View Three thing. Like, what's going to be in it? What, what would you what would you tell him?" Wow, that's quite a scenario. For first of all, why why am I hunting these gators? I think I need to know a little bit of my backstory. Well, you're you're hunting the gators because you want to hunt gators. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I, I need. I think I need to do a little bit more research in my character. But you, uh, I'll, you I'll new, try to improv. I'll try to roll with it. I'll try to roll with it. You got a new pair of so, boots um, that you need some skin for, or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, really I feel like I'm going to have like a rougher voice if I'm a gator hunter. So uh, okay. yeah, so view three. Yeah, uh, it's it's coming out soon. <laughs> it's it's probably uh, probably end of this year. And uh, what would you like to know? <laughs> wow, that's uh, they're they're asking you like what's new, and you got to do it quick because you're on one of those boats okay, with the okay. big the big fan on the back, and you're zipping around. You know. Okay, so then I need to speak a little bit louder as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so here's what you need to know. Um. So in, in view three, generally, we're making it simpler and more explicit, more powerful, faster, doing a lot of good stuff there. There really are not a lot of breaking changes. Sometimes once in a while on like Hacker News or some site like that, people will see one of the one of the new features and think, oh, wow, like this is going to completely replace like how we've been doing things when really it's just like an, an alternative for... You're talking about the hooks. For building... Yeah, like like hooks, for example, mm-hmm. where where you're building features in a way that's it's a little bit easier to compose. You know, it's sort of like mixins. Like just because mixins exist doesn't mean everything has to be a mixin. Right. Right. You know? So so, so it sounds like you, what you're trying to do with View Three is you're trying to make the development experience better. Absolutely. I, I I'm a view developer myself. Like a lot of us on the core team, like work building view applications like every day for our job. So if we made Vue something that we wouldn't want to work with. Something that like wasn't easy for us and not just us, but also for people who don't have as much experience because we typically work in teams. There are often new people coming onto teams, uh, often junior developers, people who don't have as much experience with JavaScript, right. don't have as much experience with frameworks. Like we need it to be easy for everybody or else it's going to be a huge pain for us. So we are, we are highly motivated to keep the same values for Vue 3 as we've kept for Vue 2. Yeah. Cause they would be like building a house that you don't like living in. Like what would the point of that be, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, but, you know, let me get a little bit of background on you. So, I mean, the yeah. way the way that I know you, Chris, is I know you as Katie's husband, but it sounds That's like true. you <laughs> but it sounds like you've been involved with Vue.js for for quite some time. Tell us a little story about how you kind of got involved with doing anything with Vue. Yeah, so I, I got involved in 2016. I was actually a React consultant for a couple of years before I even tried Vue for the very first time. I believe that was in December of 2015 when I tried Vue for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of those situations where like, you know, you've heard about things, you know, something like a few different times. And finally, the last time you hear it, something snaps and you think, okay, fine, I'll go check it out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was really looking forward to it. We've all got this list of this huge list of things we want to look at. And the more we hear about stuff and certain people recommend things, the higher things bubble up on the list, right? Yeah. So I, I, I checked it out mostly at of guilt. <laughs> you know, there wasn't like a specific problem that I was looking for it to solve. I just, you know, I was using React relatively happily mm-hmm. and figured I should also know about this, you know, because people keep telling me about it. So I checked it out and uh, really fell in love. Like within a day, I was about 80% as productive with Vue as I was with React. And within a week, I was more productive with Vue than I had been with React, like using it for years. And, and was this view 0.8 or was it 1.0 by then? Or where was it, was it at? 1.0, yeah. It was 1.0. This was 1.0, okay. 1.0 about, I don't know, maybe like 2.2 or something like that. Okay. 
Yeah. Yep. Was uh, was React your first foray into JavaScript frameworks, or had you gone through Knockout or any of those guys previously? Yeah, I'd used Knockout, I'd used Backbone, I'd used Angular. I I think I used some others as well. I, I of right. course, went through that that phase that I think a lot of people go through, where yeah. you start building your own front-end framework because... <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Enough ...for your specific needs. Yeah, don't do uh, it. I made that mistake a couple times. <laughs> So there's well, an, then, in an alternate universe, we might be using Fritz JS. Is what you're saying? No, no, you definitely <laughs> do not want to use any of those things. Um, it was a bad. It was a bad decision. All I right. was reinventing the wheel. And, and what was your time then from where you started playing with you? It sounds like uh, in an outside role, and then when you you're you're now part of the core team, right? Yeah. So in in December, I started using it, and then I think in February or March, Evan opened up the the core team and asked me to to join as one of that like that core group of people which might have been like four or five six people at the time well you had to have been very active in the community then to get his attention right yeah i was i was pretty active you know so as i was using view more and more mostly just for data visualization because Vue mm. uh, is still at a point where you know a lot of people had never heard of it and i only felt comfortable really using it on projects that no one else would have to maintain ah uh, okay <laughs> Because I was still experimenting with it. You know, right. I hadn't really put it through its paces in like a real big application, you know, with a huge team. Right. And maybe you also didn't have that much experience with it where you felt comfortable that the way you were doing things was the idiomatic way to do them and that type of thing. Yeah. 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 So there were some things that I didn't like and I would, you know, ask questions or I would, you know, there was some behavior I didn't like and I'd submit a PR or open an issue. Hmm. Uh, oh, you're and, talking about the behavior of the framework. I thought you were talking about like, yeah. ev- like uh, you didn't like, uh, you know, some of the, <laughs> maybe Evan's. No, no, he, he's a very nice person. He was always very kind to me. <laughs> he wasn't mis... Okay. This is, I want to be clear. It wasn't him that was misbehaving, right? No, no. I didn't okay. have Weird a problem. Black behavior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That would be so weird to go into someone's open source project and then it's like, listen, I need to talk to you about your behavior, Your sir. behavior. <laughs> <laughs> So I started I started using Vue and contributing back to Vue and uh, contributing to the documentation as well because there were some things that I felt like you know mm-hmm. weren't as clear as they could be and he invited me to the the core team so that you know basically he wouldn't have to review every single work that I every single piece of work that I did. Oh, so that's the key. That just generate so much work that he's just like, all right, screw it. Like I can't, I can't, well, I can't do all this. <laughs> It's, I don't think it's to generate so much work because right. the work has to be at a quality where like right. when he takes a look at it, right. he's like, yeah, yeah. I, if it's Chris, like I trust that it's going to be right. like, well thought out and this is going to be something worth looking at. Yeah. And back <laughs> then. sick of well thought out merge or pull requests. Yeah. You know? Right. Make him sick of having to like review them every single time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, like people, people who haven't really done it don't realize that pull requests actually, they can be a lot of work, <laughs> you know, like if you are going to go through and yeah. really do a good job vetting the pull requests, you know, people think that they're giving you this wonderful present and you know, it's, it's wonderful that they're spending their time to do it, but they are kind of being like a cat that brings a mouse to your door. They're like, <laughs> like here's this thing. And you're like, oh, great. You know, now I got it. Cause it, it does take a lot of work. To, to then merge those in. So that, that makes sense. And But back then also Vue wasn't as incredibly popular as it is now, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it was still it was still pretty popular, especially in some areas of the world. Like in China, it was already quite popular. Right. Uh, in the US, it still had some growth to do and it's still growing quite yeah, I feel a lot. Like it really, yeah. I mean, when Laracast started to make it kind of the framework of choice, I think that probably was something that really pushed adoption here. Yeah. For- yeah, that was, that was definitely one of the big accelerators. Mm. Yeah, when Taylor started started picking it up and then the whole Laravel community started picking it up. But tell us more about, okay, so you got involved in the core team and then what what kind of contributions were you working on? I, I checked out your GitHub repo and you you were involved in the uh, the pre-rendering for the, the SPA pre-render plugin. Is that something that you did? Yeah. You did yeah, a so lot I, of really cool stuff. Oh, I mean, I, I, I tried to. I, I really just try to get involved in anything that affects the dev experience. That's something that I care about a lot, like mm-hmm. as a consultant still, working with a lot of different teams to build a wide variety of different kinds of applications. The documentation, tooling, error messages, the, the general like experience of using the API, like all of these things affect the dev experience. And if they are not high quality. My job is a lot harder as a consultant. Yeah. And I still cite to everyone that I talk to in the development world about a project that has really good documentation is Vue. Vue has got some of the best docs I've ever mm. seen. 
Oh, th- thank you very much. Uh, definitely a, a, a lot of people. You know, we have a uh, four people uh, on the View Docs team now, and we've had hundreds, hundreds of community contributors mm-hmm. uh, make it as good as it, as it is. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Well, and I think it's huge from an adoption point of view to have really good, clear documentation. And I think that's something that View has done in spades. And then some other frameworks and technologies are kind of trying to, you know, I guess copy that that model. But I just think. If you want to get people to adopt your stuff, providing good documentation is one of the most fundamental things you can do, right? It's something that we really care about. Yeah. And we also practice as, as much as we can something called documentation-driven development where, you know, when we're thinking up features, we also think up like how we're going to explain that and make sure that the features we build are something that is going to be something that is easy to explain when we're building the documentation. Mm-hmm. Because if, if it works really well, but it is really like obtuse and uh, difficult to wrap your mind around, then it's not going to be something that a lot of people are going to use and it may as well not even exist uh, and maybe can cause more confusion than it actually helps because people can use things in the wrong way if it's not clear like what they're for and how to use them, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like from the point of view that if this feature is so hard to describe <laughs> that I can't really document it, maybe we should rethink it. It's kind of like if you're if you're yeah. pitching uh, if you're pitching a Hollywood movie, if you can't give them uh, the pitch in two sentences, like you're out of the door. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty unusual. I think it's typically the other way around. You know, right. you build the API and then you try to figure out some way to sell it to people. <laughs> right. And that's something we had Sean Larkin on here recently, and that's something that he mentioned it, with regard to Webpack is that Webpack 1.0 both the API and the documentation were really bad. And those are his words, not mine. Yeah. But he said that that's one of the things that they really, really worked on is improving that because they realized how much of a difference that made in terms of their adoption. Yeah, I feel like the getting started guide for Webpack 1 for maybe more than a year, maybe even multiple years was just work in progress. <laughs> oh, man. So this is something. So you looked at that and you're like, okay, this is if I ever get involved in something like this, this is what we're not going to do. Right. I come from an education background. Okay. I, I'm actually trained. What I studied is uh, secondary education and, and linguistics, although like human languages, linguistics, uh, not, not computer languages, linguistics. Mm. And so like communication and education are two things that are really, really important to me. Something that I think about probably most of every single day. And and so that is where I find I can contribute perhaps a little bit more uniquely. And so I try to. Right. <laughs> My semi-official title on the on the docs, uh, which we came up with at some point, is, or on the view team, is good word put it together. <laughs> <laughs> you can put words together in a good order, right? Oh. Yeah, sometimes, at least when I have a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> right, right. And I can do some user testing. <laughs> Not so much on the fly, so to explain my performance in the podcast right now. So, that's that's really awesome. But what I want to hear about is what are we looking forward to in View 3? So, broadly, we talked about the fact that, okay, you know, it's going to, the developer experience is going to be better. We're trying to simplify things. But like if you, if you had to run down and you had to distill things down to like five features that you thought were really important, like what would be the, the first one? And we'll go into each one a little bit or something like that. Gosh. Well, first of all, I do want to say that there's still a lot that's in flux. Right. And so there's, and there's a lot of cool things that is difficult to explain on a podcast, like difficult enough to explain in a talk when you can actually show code, you know, when all you have is my voice, uh, it gets even more difficult. I saw your presentation that you put together, the keynote presentation. So I went through that and you did a nice job with the the code examples. But what what if we start with this thing that Hacker News, you know, kind of screwed up on the idea of hooks. So what are, what are hooks that are coming to view? What is that? So first of all, before I, 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 you know, lay blame completely on Hacker News. <laughs> do not um, anger the trolls. No, no, no. Seriously, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to say that in our RFCs, which are not, these are not like marketing announcements or anything like that. Well, but RFC uh, is re- request for comments and you got the comments. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it, in those, we are we are looking at 
requests for comments on like some of these like APIs and how it might feel to use them. And right. at that point, we often haven't figured out the exact language that we're going to use to describe these features, sure. know, which we think about very hard when we're making an actual marketing announcement or when we're writing documentation. And so there were some things, uh, some phrasings that were not ideal that I can see how they could lead to misunderstandings. For example, there was something being called uh, a compatibility build, which was really like the build we expected everyone to use, the, the standard build, which included the, the 2.x-like syntax, Mm -hmm. as well as this new hooks-like syntax. And then we called the other one, I, I don't even remember what it was anymore, but people saw compatibility and think like, oh, okay, so this is this stuff is going away. Like you're providing this temporary compatibility build until view four. And then, you know, the syntax that we know and love is completely disappearing. Understandable. And, and that's, not true. Mm -hmm. that's not true at all. And so we, we renamed that to standard. You know, because it really will be the standard, the one that, that has both syntaxes, where you are mostly using the syntax that you're familiar with and only switching to this function-based API when you actually need the power that it provides. You know, just like just like any other feature. When you when you need to go a little bit a little bit deeper, you have that ability, but it's not something that you have to learn in order to just use view and build things. So if I like writing my single file dot view components and I like the the syntax and where I've got the the template and the script and the CSS, like I can still do that, right? Absolutely. And yeah. and we will still recommend it. <laughs> And you're like it's not just you can, but we don't recommend it. We recommend it, right? Yeah, this is not like it's a old and busted way that we're letting yeah. hang on as a legacy piece of framework because we don't want to. You know, this is like this is still relevant. This is still the right way to do things, but there's also a different, maybe right for you way to do things depending on your needs. It's similar to when we introduce render functions, where mm -hmm. on the core team, probably most people that you talk to will use templates about 95% of the time, and then render functions, maybe like two to 5% of the rest of the time when they need that extra flexibility, extra power to sure. build their component. And this is the, the same kind of thing. You know, we recommend most people use the standard API that they're familiar with. And when you absolutely need that extra flexibility, that extra power, we want to give it to people who need it. Right. I mean, that makes sense, right? Makes sense to me. But I think we should probably explain a little bit, a backpedal a little bit and explain what kind of hooks are. So, and I'm going to try my best and then you're going to correct me. Okay, Chris. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go ahead, sure. where, where, quote unquote hooks sort of got their, you know, mainstream introduction was with React because they recently added React hooks, right? So previously you had a, a class-based system where, you know, you would uh, instantiate a class and then you would have methods that you would, uh, you know, your set state and all that kind of stuff. And when uh, they introduce hooks, what it's essentially is just a procedural way to do the same thing. So if you don't want to use the class-based way with methods of doing this stuff and you need a procedural way or a functional way of doing it, then you use the hooks, right? And is it a similar thing with Vue? So first, I, I do want to say that I, I do not like the term hooks Yeah, uh, because... In programming and in web development, like what we think of as hooks is completely different yep. from what React is doing. It's a call. Like it has like, nothing in common. Yeah. To me, hooks are callbacks, right? Where, where you'll, <laughs> you'll kind of hook your way into something. You know? Yeah, or, or like like lifecycle hooks. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, or, or, or web hooks. You know, well, like when something else is happening, you know, like this other thing is happening. You're you're hooking into some kind of event, right? Exactly well, as you as you explained. Like we were talking about with Rich Harris, like React also isn't reactive, right? Or isn't particularly yeah. reactive. So you know, I guess they're just upholding that tradition of choosing interesting names. But I agree with you. Like when I first saw hooks, I was like, "What? What's that?" And then when I found out what it was, I was just like. Really? You know, so we still don't know exactly, you know, what we'll call this in view three, but something that, that I, I like more at least is, is composition functions. Hmm. You know, the, so same root as components, like components allow you to like compose your application into these little chunks. And these functions allow you to like compose functionality in an even more granular level. Hmm. And so when would I want that? Like, when would I say, okay, I don't want to write this in a, in a template with uh, some script code down below. What I want to do is I want to use the, uh, the functional API or what com compositional functions or whatever you want to call it. 
When, when would I make that change? So a lot of times that you would do that is when you might currently use a mixin in Vue. Got it. Uh, so let's say this is one of the simple examples that we include in a lot of demos. You want to get the mouse position and you want to keep track of that in the state of that component. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can take some functions to build together like those that that feature that gets the the, the cursor position and then gives you back you know maybe x and y coordinates for the entire window or scoped to a specific part of the window. You know, and so most of that logic might be shared between a bunch of different components, but you can you can provide it like which specific part of the window you care about, hmm. uh, you know, where the grid for that XY is, and then pass it through and then it adds some state to your component in a very explicit way. You know, where where you're defining the name of that state. You know, you define it as like mouse X and mouse Y or whatever you want it to be. So it sounds like it might be that in introducing this, you're not trying to replace the way Vue works. You're trying to offer developers another way that they can utilize it if they are doing some of these more kind of app-ish behaviors that they might need it for? Yeah, for any kind of like shared behavior. Mm. Uh, you know, whenever whenever you're trying to you know, share something between a bunch of different components or when you're trying to do something that, you know, is a little bit more complex and can can be a little bit difficult to reason about in a single component. So let's say, for example, you have a component that starts out just doing one thing. Maybe it's like a sidebar. And this sidebar just like keeps track of a bunch of search results that it wants to display. And then you add like an actual search box to the sidebar and you want to keep track of, you know, what's being typed there. So you're keeping back of the, the search results and the search text and, you know, the search result status. And then you're also keeping track of, you know, the width of this sidebar. And you're also keeping track of, let's say, you know, which groups you know, you can you can also put search results in groups, and then you can collapse them or uncollapse them. Sure. You know, and things can get really complicated. And this one component can start like can start becoming a monster that is really difficult to reason about. And one thing that you can do is push out these little groups of functionality into components, and that makes sense when there's accompanying UI. So let's say like for the search box. The search box has like a specific piece of UI that is attached to it. But for something like resizing the sidebar, like there's not a a new part of the UI for that, like it's the sidebar. And so you might not want to create a new component for that, but it might be useful to pull that out into a separate file or a separate function inside of that file, inside of that component that allows you to keep all the logic related to resizing the sidebar together. Hmm. You know, so it gives you another tool to keep everything organized and easy to think about. And that's what we care about. We care about allowing you to keep your application simple and giving you tools that you can reach for that make sense when you feel like this is getting complicated, but I'm not really sure how to refactor it. We want to give you easy answers to that question. But how do I refactor it? How do I make it simple again? Right. Well, and not Hacker News. If you're listening, this is not the new Vue API. This is an additional way that you're going to be able to use Vue, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is another mistake that we made in that RFC where in our examples, we had 2.x and then new API. When, when really what we meant is new in that RFC, not like the new de facto mm. way of things. You know, so that was that was uh, a poor phrasing on our part. Yeah, we need to get you an uh, agent or a handler or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't put that through our PR people first. Right. Uh, but really, we weren't thinking that much about it. And we weren't right. thinking about it as like a marketing announcement because it wasn't. You know, so for people who only skimmed and didn't read the entire like RFC. So everybody... You might see that and think, oh, it's going away. <laughs> yeah. So the people and, that and skimmed. Like, a lot of people, a lot of people are skimming a little bit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of that too. Like, you know, I, I skim articles quite a bit unless I really need to, to dive deeply into them. So I probably would have been one of those people, unfortunately. But- yeah, we should be catering to the skimmers a little bit more. And, right. you know, we, we have already made like updates to that RFC to, to make things a little bit clearer. And we're continuing to make updates. Yeah, your your agent is going to tell you to control the narrative. Okay. You got to control <laughs> the narrative. Okay. 
<laughs> no, we don't. We don't really talk in those terms. But uh, you know, know. We, we do talk in terms of uh, like being more clear. You know, because right. when people misunderstand things, we do want to take ownership over that and sure. make it clear so that people can understand exactly what we're trying to communicate and exactly what the reality is going to be. So there's another part of view three that I think you would probably really like to clearly communicate, which is that the performance is going to be better. Mm. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Communicate. <laughs> I, have, I, have not. <laughs> I was digging I in. Have, so is it around like the absolutely? Yeah. So I mean, it, you've probably heard some like estimates, like you know, twice as fast and half as big and stuff like that. You know, and th- these are some of our goals, and it looks like uh, we are going to be able to, you know, actually meet a lot of these goals. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't you know, in terms of the numbers, I mean, anyone can do work with numbers. But I found it was yeah. interesting reading back on the announcement from November, and tell me if this is still the case. But I guess previously, if like a child slot or a child component had to re-render, then the, the parent would also re-render and it would trigger off all this extra rework. But it sounds like you're going to be able to get a little bit more granular and just re-render components that are re-rendering. Yeah, a lot of this stuff people never have to worry about. Yeah, because but it's really it's really under the hood and it doesn't affect their development experience. Like it, Andrew and worries about it though. Andrew worries about the you know Dom <laughs> thrashing around and micro tuning, and so this is very near to Andrew. I heart. do, man. I turn yeah. on the the browser painting and I watch what's going on. He goes into yeah. that like chart that has the lines coming down, and no one knows what it, he like zooms in and everything. Mm. Hey, and and we do too. And oh, good. To provide people better tools for optimizing. But more than that, even, we want to make it so that people don't even have to know about optimizations that are happening. Oh, right. It'll just be fast. And so, so here's one example, like functional components are one aspect of view three, or sorry, one aspect of, of view two, like one feature set that a lot of people find uh, especially difficult to wrap their minds around. And, and I don't blame them. Like it is more complicated than we'd like it to be. And we're not only simplifying like functional components to like make the API extremely similar to just a normal component with a render function. But we want to ideally, and we're exploring this, this is still not official. Ideally, we'd like to make it so that functional components are an implementation detail where we can compile to like a a functional component at compile time, rather than you having to ever worry about making any kind of optimizations related to functional components. We can detect if you actually need state in this component. And if you do not, we can slim it down for you so that you never have to know about the optimizations that you could do to make some parts of your app faster. And I, I think this is a really huge topic, though, because if you or an important topic, I should say, because if you tell a developer, you know, hey, one of the uh, advantages of switching over from view two to view three, first of all, everything's going to work or almost everything. Right. And then number two, everything is instantly just going to get faster. Like that's very compelling and they don't necessarily need to know exactly how you're accomplishing that under the hood. Right. Yeah. And, and for the breaking changes that we are making. Like another thing that I want to talk about is the migration helper. All right, do it. So going from view one to view two, I built a really awesome migration helper that took about 80% of breaking changes and told you about them and told you exactly what needed the change and linked you to sections of the migration guide that described why we are making that change, you know, what some other considerations you had to think about might be. Now, how does and, it work? Does it scan uh, your code? How yeah, does it scans your code. Okay. So it's not like a loader for Webpack or something. It actually scans your code. Yeah. It's just a CLI tool that scans your code. You Got just it. point it to a folder and it'll do do Got its it. thing. Mm-hmm. And the for view two to view three, we want to make the migration helper even better where we're not taking 80% of the features, but really much, much closer to 100% of the breaking changes that you might experience and not just tell you about them, but give you the option of automatically rewriting your code for you in mm. places where we can tell what the user intent is. That's really you know, nifty. And, show, and showing you like the code that we rewrote and still telling you like, oh, here's why we did it. And here's where you can find more information and yeah, all, all, all that stuff. And so a lot of people told me from going from view one to view two, using the migration helper, it would take them, like if there was an application that might've taken a week to migrate, it would instead take them about five hours. Oh, nice. And we want to take that five hours and bring it down to about five minutes. So does this work sort of like if you have a like a merge conflict in Git and where it will go through it line by line and you can pick and choose like which way you want to do it? Very similar, yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. No, okay. So if you don't if your weekends are free and you got nothing else to do, what if you wrote a special view loader that 
worked in conjunction with Babel or did something where it dynamically changed the code as it loaded it? What do you think? For what purpose? <laughs> so that so that people don't have to rewrite anything. <laughs> if you already know how the you know things should be changed, you know, do it dynamically just because it's cool. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that would that would have a few issues. First of all, it would make compilation times a lot slower. Mm-hmm. You know, to do that every time a component changes rather than just once. Every time the page also, reloads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also when people are looking at the docs, right. uh, they're suddenly like not seeing the same features that they're looking at, and and so that they're going to be confused, and it's and it's going to be harder to like learn the new best practices and uh, how to take advantage of the new features. Well, because they'll be taking advantage of the new features without being able to see them, which I think would be very be very confusing. Well, <laughs> I I have accomplished my mission, so I wanted you to tell me what a terrible idea it was. (laughs) No, because the the migration tool, the way you described it, sounds perfect, right? Because I want something that it can statically analyze my code, it can go through it, and then it can it can show me like here's here's what you did, here's what it should be, but I'm still in control in terms of what ends up happening. Because in addition to you being able to make the decisions, you also are then learning. When you're presenting it that way, right? Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, like a big part of this is totally selfish. If I didn't build a tool like this, I, after Vue 3 came out, a few months, probably at least of my work, is going to be mostly like, help, would be mostly helping people migrate right. to the next version of Vue, which would right. be so mind-numbingly boring. Yeah. Oh, I would hate that. Well, th- that would make me not like my job. <laughs> and so I want to take the mind-numbing parts and just make them automatic. Which is a fun challenge. Totally. <laughs> so I'm taking the not fun work, turning it into a fun challenge, and then I can get right back to the helping them solve like the hard problems that are specific to their actual application rather than solving problems that are specific to Vue. A hundred percent. And this is a recurring theme. Like I always say, any really good engineer is lazy and would much rather spend twice the amount of time to write a tool that does something than do something repetitive over and over again. You know, and it's really awesome that you're able to take something that you know would be something you don't enjoy, but turn it into something that you actually would enjoy doing, and then it's going to automate it for you. I mean, I think that that and is then it can allow me to do other work that will be more fun. Yeah, and that's kind of the definition of what we do, right? Or what we hopefully yeah. in an ideal world, what we get to work on. It's what I try to do at least as much as I can. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I, and I do the same thing. I, I know myself and I know the type of work that I don't enjoy. And I always try to morph it into something that is challenging and that I will enjoy. Yeah. And we end up doing the same things on our on our docs too. So, for example, when there's like this edge case that like, oh yeah, I guess like it should be pretty clear that like people shouldn't do this or else like this other thing will happen. Like it seems kind of obvious to us, but it's... You know, it's not obvious to some people who are still like wrapping their minds around like Vue and haven't necessarily learned all the features. And so then we're tempted. Do we add like, you know, these like tiny warnings that break you out of the flow all over the docs? Right. Or do we, you know, find some way to detect when people are doing this thing that they shouldn't be doing and then give them a nice little warning and tell them exactly what they're doing, why it's wrong and what to do instead. <laughs> you know, so making that warning keeps the docs like much clearer. It's a little bit harder to do, but it makes the maintenance so much easier and the documentation and it makes the experience of reading the docs still like feel very fluid. And, and this gets back to, you know, everything I learned, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, because <laughs> as any parent will tell you, if you want to correct, correct some kind of behavior, you do it at the time that it happens. You don't do it like several days later. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So part of that is my education background also kicking in. Like we want to give people that learning when they actually need it. Right. uh, Rather than rather than trying to enforce it afterwards, assuming they're even able to like type in the right thing into Google or the right thing into our search to find the problem that they had and then figure out what to do differently. So we've got the speed, which is going to be a lot nicer. We've got the ability to have, uh, you, you called them composable functions or what did you call them? Composition functions. Composition but yeah, we're functions. playing around with the wording. Yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's, it's at least descriptive of what they are. <laughs> rather oh, yeah. than Composition, we, function. We is, yeah. that they are something that is completely different. You know, yeah, you, you know are, yeah. I have the feeling the conversation, you, you guys are going to end up coming up with a whole bunch of different names that totally make sense. And then someone's just going to be like, guys, you know what? Like everyone thinks they're hooks now because <laughs> 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 so we're just going to have to give up and we're just going to have to call them that. 
you know? Well, we'll definitely let people know like, oh yeah, if you're, you know, if you've used React hooks, like this is a similar concept. But I, I really don't think it, it makes sense to add to that confusion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to pile on there. But so I'm, I'm mostly making a joke. So it's going to be the, you know, this thing, whatever you guys end up calling it. But so another thing is it looks like you're making some changes to the reactivity system in terms of instead of object observers, it uses proxies. Why, why, why do I care about that? Yeah. Instead of using object defined property, we're using, we're using proxies. And right. what this does under the hood basically is just allow us to remove all of the reactivity caveats. You know, so there were some cases, some edge cases where Vue couldn't correctly detect that a change had been made to some data. I ran into that. It drove me crazy. This is when I was first learning Vue. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. It's reactive. If I change anything, it'll just work. And it ended up being either a sub property in an object or in a, or something like that. I changed it and it didn't notice it changed. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. So in our current reactivity system, we can't detect property additions or deletions. Hmm. You know, unless it's through, you know, some kind of method like push an array. Oh, we just can't. Uh, yeah, we have a view project right now. And I, I, we have a, yeah, an array of, or it's not exactly an array of data. But yeah, it's an object. And we add a new one. And Arthur was going crazy because he's like, why isn't it seen that this is here? There oh, you that, go. that makes sense. It's, yeah. And we're like, we had to set up all the, okay. And I, uh, I did Evan's. Like, I did Evan's like deep dive view course where you kind of like make your own little mini view and he showed how this was done that you're you're actually the the reason it works is it knows about the property and then you can end up, you know, basically kind of like in PHP, Patrick, where there are getters and setters, that type mm -hmm. of thing. Well, that, that's kind of how it works. And it makes sense that if you're pushing something new on there, there's nothing to intercept that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So tell us more about how using proxies fixes that. Well, the, the solution to that in, in view two is to use these two methods, view.set and view.delete to allow you to actually set and delete something, mm -hmm. uh, some property from an object or an array. Mm. Uh, unless, you know, again, if you're not using something like push or splice mm -hmm. and in view three, because proxies just don't have those same caveats where we can, we can better detect like property additions and deletions. We don't need view.set and view.delete. And so as long as you're using a browser where you don't, uh, or as long as you're not supporting a browser that doesn't support proxies. I 11. <clears throat> oh yeah. Basically, unless you're yeah. using internet Explorer, <laughs> then you don't have to ever have to worry about these, these exceptions to the reactivity system and everything will always just work. Right. So the reason I care about this is Patrick is not going to run into these situations where something he would assume is going to be reactive is not. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it looks, I mean, I'm taking a look at the, just the preview docs, but it looks like it cuts down on the memory usage by the browser, by the amount of time that it takes to run things. So you're going to see things hopefully become live in the browser a little bit quicker. It, you know, I think it's just part of the overarching focus on performance. Yeah. And this is where I get paranoid though. So if this is so good... <laughs> Chris, like, why weren't we using it before? And what are the downsides to doing it this way? I think eleven. Yeah. So if you need to support Internet Explorer, which I still do in some applications. So, mm. you know, even once U3 is out, there are some applications where I'll still be using, in some edge cases, view.set and view.delete because I, I need that Internet Explorer support. And Vue 3 offers like a compatibility build for Internet Explorer, you know, so it'll use the old reactivity system rather than the new one with proxies. Very cool. But, but everything else in Vue 3 will remain the same. So what are some of the other changes in Vue 3 that we as developers might be, or, or maybe even just you as someone who is a consumer of this, as well as someone that works on it? Like, what are some of the other changes in Vue 3 that you're really looking forward to? Gosh, have either of you ever gotten the error where you're working on? Yes, uh, whatever the error is, I've gotten it. Whatever the error is, you've gotten it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Vue yells at you about multiple root nodes. Yes. Yep. Yep. You know, so you have like a div next to a div or, you know, let's say you have an input and you decide, okay, I want to add a label to it. And you add a label element right above the input. And then it starts yelling at you. It's like, oh, you have multiple root nodes, basically multiple elements next to each other in a template or render function. And this is a limitation of our, our current, our, our current, uh, basically just like system of, uh, dealing with components. Um, not exactly the, it's not just the virtual DOM, but all in there, like we, we had that limitation and it was, it was pretty hard to get around without a major rewrite, but we are doing a major rewrite in Vue 3, so we can get around it. Right. And so now where you would previously get that error, it'll just work. Cool. I remember whenever <laughs> I would get that error, 
I would just be like, oh yeah, that's right. I guess, you know, view wants <laughs> me to add, yeah, yeah, wants right, me to add another right. DOM node. Okay. You know, here we go. So, I mean, that's great. That's taking away like a, a developer annoyance that probably didn't really need to be there. That's fantastic. What else have we got going on? Gosh, there are a lot of little things. I'm trying to think of things that'll be easy to explain in a podcast, but like one of the things that we're thinking about that we actually got the idea from Svelte. We had WebAssembly on lately, so don't worry about going low level. We've gotten as low as you oh, literally level this isn't okay, super, okay, okay. yeah but 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 in svelte when you are defining an attribute if it is uh, svelte will check under the hood to see if it is like a, a dom property mm-hmm. like inner html or text content or something like that and if it is then it'll use that and interpret it as a dom property otherwise it'll interpret it as an attribute and add it to the element as an attribute and currently in View two, you know, we have instead of you know inner HTML and uh, text content, you know, we we have the special API for like vHTML and vText, and we also have uh, the special syntax for vBind to bind to uh, a DOM property instead of an attribute. And looking at the way that Svelte was doing it, and looking to see if like they've encountered any issues with that strategy, and finding that you know they they really haven't. It just seems to work. This gives people one less thing to worry about when they want to do something like set a DOM property on an element. They can just do that, and they can just do it as an attribute. And Vue will just magically work with it. Vue will see like, oh yeah, text content, I know what this is, so I'll interpret that as a DOM property and, you know, set the text content appropriately. And because you, many people may not realize this, but because Vue actually does compile, there is a compiler, you're able to then do that, right? Yep, absolutely. So anyone using, like, I actually, we're able to do this not just because of that. So even if you are writing like a raw render function without JSX that isn't using the template compiler and isn't using a JSX compiler, then you'll, I, I believe you'll still have access to the this feature. And I, again, this is one of those features that, uh, you know, uh, basically everything we're talking about, you know, nothing is set in stone until it's actually released, but I'm pretty sure that this will work out and will provide just one more thing that users do not have to learn and do not have to think about. You know, if they, if they know the JavaScript way of doing things and they can just do things the JavaScript way. Yeah. See what I like about a number of the features that you're talking about for view three is that look, I mean, trust me more, more than most people, I enjoy nerding out and getting into the low level details of, of, everything, right? (laughs) But I totally, I love it when a lot of the features really amount to everything's going to get better and you don't really have to do anything, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like this is a a really big focus of what you're doing in Vue 3, which makes me then wonder like, okay, what are the actual breaking changes in Vue 3? Like what what will I have to change? Mm. So let's see. I don't know if I remember them off the top of my head, but so far they've been relatively minor. Like for for vBind sync in in the docs for for vBind sync, we found that some people have, or actually a lot of people have found the feature really confusing. Hmm. And the way that I've been able to successfully explain it to them that really made it click is to say, listen, don't think of vbind.sync like vbind. Think of it like vmodel because it really works a lot more like vmodel, which made us question like, why is this part of the vbind API if it works like vmodel? Right. And so we're moving that to make it part of the part of the V model API and tweaking it a little bit to to make it just easier to explain and have it make more intuitive sense to people. And we've also made some changes to uh, that we've backported to Vue 2.x to the slot API, for example, where we are recommending the usage of V slot over a slots code attribute and you know some some other changes related to slots in an attempt to just make slots simpler in general, especially scope slots, so that they're easier to explain and they're just, it's it's just simpler to wrap your mind around, ideally. And so that the more confusing syntax, which still works in Vue2.x because we don't want to make any breaking changes without a major version change, that will no longer be supported 
and will only support the simpler syntax. And I think, I mean, that's really for users as well, because you don't want multiple ways of doing the same thing where one is clearly superior to the other, you yeah. know, with no advantage, not even in simplicity. Like that's just going to create a confusing code base, right? Yeah, <clears throat> no, I, I agree. And that's one of the things that attracted me to Vue in the beginning was that if I wanted to, it, it's got a very low barrier of entry from the point of view that if you want to just start using something that feels a lot like a templating language, you can with a little bit of JavaScript mixed in, but then if you want to get into some of the more advanced stuff with, uh, you know, your own render functions and, you know, renderless components and all that kind of fun stuff, like that's there too. It's a very, it's very deep software. And I love that you are very conscious of keeping it that way, keeping the approachable surface small, but still making the functionality deep. And it looks like you're addressing both of those concerns to make it not just tacking on like everything that, uh, you know, super hardcore developers want, but you're making it easier for the average developer to approach Vue to begin with, but then also providing some really nice low-level stuff under the hood for people who need the advanced functionality. Is that something that you discuss in terms of like, this is one of our goals or did it just kind of happen? No, absolutely. And and by my last count, like someone new to Vue uh, will actually have fewer concepts to learn with Vue 3 than with Vue 2. Right. <laughs> and be able to do more with those concepts. Right. You know, so we're, we're consolidating in, in, in a big way and just making the existing features and new features that we're adding able to do more and making them, making it more obvious when you'll need them so that, yeah, when people run into the problems that we all run into as we're developing applications and, you know, we need to refactor something or the the requirements change, you know, as they will like hundreds of times. Right. You know, <laughs> how do how do we refactor? How do we actually, you know, oh gosh, if this isn't really just a sidebar anymore, this is a whole like search thing. You know, how do I, how do I, hmm, how do I build that and still keep this maintainable? Yeah. And that reminds me of really good design. Like really good design is not complex. It's actually the simplicity is something that you may look at it and you're like, oh, you know, what's the big deal? But you talk to the designer and they tell you how much work was behind, you know, refining that thing down to that, that, that simple seemingly simple thing. And it sounds like you're taking a very similar approach in terms of the APIs and view. Yeah, absolutely. And and we like to do lots of user testing and, and having people, you know, use this in like huge enterprise applications, you know, before these features ever see the light of day, you know, just to see how they perform, like in the real world, like, are there any bottlenecks we didn't think about? Are there any usage problems we didn't think about? You know, we, we care really, really a lot about this experience. You know, this is not just something we're building for the community. This is something we're building for us. Right, right. Yeah. So you're saying there's more to it than just, you know, writing up a paragraph and sending it off to Hacker News so they can misrepresent it, right? Yeah. I mean, or I, <laughs> again, like, you know, there there was some like skimming and not really reading. And there was also some wording that like wasn't as clear as it could be on our end. And I want to take... I. I think it's important that, that we acknowledge that it, right. it's not just that Hacker News like didn't read and decided to like totally misrepresent something. And we have our share of the blame, too. Yeah, you need your agent. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we should have we should have thought a little bit more about our communication and how that might be interpreted. Yeah, how you will be perceived for sure. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And But I also understand where you were coming from, from the point of view of, well, you know, this is an RFC. This is not where we have a fully polished message. This is for developers to look at, you know? So, you know, I can see where both uh, perspectives are, are coming at for it. But so what else in Vue 3 is something that you're looking forward to having in there? So we've got we got the speed mm -hmm. and we've got the, the fact that there are things that are we're not going to call them hooks that are going to be in there. <laughs> And we also are getting rid of some edge cases for the reactivity model to make things simpler. And we're making the surface area of the API a little bit uh, friendlier as well as deeper for people that need the functionality. What, what else are we doing in Vue 3? Well, another breaking change that we have is in Vue 2 for all components by default, attributes will be automatically inherited to the root element. So, so let's say, for example, you have like a base input element and, you know, its root element inside that base input is an input. And then you add a placeholder to it and the placeholder is just added to the input. You know, mm -hmm. even though placeholder isn't defined as a prop anywhere or anything like that, you know, that's automatic behavior. And to turn that automatic behavior off, you have to set an option inherit attributes or inherit adders false 
for that component. And then you can manually like set what should inherit attributes with vbind using the vbind subsec syntax vbind equals dollar sign adders. And the problem with the automatic behavior that we have in Vue 2 is it's very implicit. There's nothing in the contract between the child component and the parent component that says that the child component cares about attributes. You know, if you look inside that component, it's there's nothing that that says like attributes will be automatically passed to the input. And so let's imagine a scenario where you want to add a label and you are adding a label as the root element and then putting the input inside of it. And now what happens when you pass a placeholder to that base input component? It's added to the label element instead. And what does a placeholder attribute do on a label uh, label element? It does it does nothing. <laughs> Right. And so then you have you have something that's suddenly broken when it wasn't obvious, like it wasn't explicit that that feature was ever supported. It just happened to work. Hmm. And so in view three, because like at the beginning of view two, like vbind adders didn't exist. We didn't have this really easy method for just like passing on attributes to a specific element mm -hmm. or a specific component. We we thought that behavior like would, would be a good idea. And we found that once we had adders, like it's not really a good idea. And we can actually make everything much more explicit by forcing people to define adders right at the beginning. So you can see looking into the component exactly, uh, you can see that attributes are intended to be inherited to a specific element rather than it being magical behavior that the component author didn't know how to turn off. And you can see which element it is passed to. And that way also when, you know, you start with the input and then you refactor to the label, vbind adders is attached to the input element. So that behavior will still work. Hmm. You don't have to worry about Oh gosh, do, like, is there any like implicit behavior, magical behavior that, you know, the user might be expecting to work that we're not thinking about? You've defined all of the behavior. Very cool. Yeah. Mm, very cool. So what do you think, Patrick? I mean, I, I've been on the view train for a while now. I got off at the React, uh, you know, station for a little while, but we just finished a project in Vue and absolutely love it. I'm, uh, yeah, we're taking a look at Gridsome, which is another really, I mean, we go on and on about that. Well, your, your derail into React land was primarily due to Gatsby, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I, I still I still like Gatsby. Yeah, um, but at the same time, like. Vue is just yeah, it's just Vue to me. It just matches what we do a lot of the times where it's easy to slot in on a project. And right now we're we're talking about Vue three. I think we did another pod on Vue a while back. That it'd probably be good to look back if you haven't played with it yet. But it's just so easy to to pop into any project. And uh, yeah, it's just simple to get things to start working if you're doing any sort of complex app functionality if, you, if you've done like jQuery spaghetti code it can take so much <laughs> complication out of that and make things just work the way you think they should um, so no I'm, I'm very excited for version 3 yeah there's something that Rich Harris said about this about frameworks in general is that frameworks are not structure for your code they're structure for your mind and I, I kind of like what he was saying about that and that a lot of these frameworks I mean one of the really nice things about them is that they, they give you really good ways to organize stuff. Whereas with jQuery or just writing your own stuff, like you literally can do anything willy nilly. But when you embrace one of these frameworks, a lot of really smart people have spent a lot of time figuring out good ways to do certain patterns and good ways to do certain things. And they're giving you that structure that you can kind of hitch your ride to. And then you're inherently just going to write more maintainable, better code, you know? Yep. That's the idea. <laughs> Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Please leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. And a big thank you to Katie's husband, Chris Fritz. <laughs> Happy to be here. to wrap it up to be respectful of your time but also because i am expected to go pick up the kids from school again <laughs> are they not done with school yet today's the last day the oh last cool day so i am stopping the recording here and i'm stopping it